Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hello, and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney, and this week we're talking about trust, that slightly intangible element that's so vital for healthy relationships and high-performing organisations. So most of us know when we have it, And of course, it feels like it's something that's particularly relevant to us at the moment, doesn't it? With so many people moving from in offices over the last three, four months, moving to more of a remote working situation where the extent to which we felt trusted by our manager or organisation has been much more obvious than it might have been before. So what I want to do is during this episode, I thought we could look at how do we recognise trust How do we demonstrate trustworthiness ourselves so that others trust us? Um, Some real examples based on some survey data that we carried out recently of what low trust or high trust looks like and how we can build a climate of high trust in our own organisations. So before I go on, I just wanted to say thank you to a number of people who have um, been in contact recently, who've linked in, who've got active on our LinkedIn HR Uprising group. Uh, it's been getting quite a vibrant community there to such an extent we've even had a few LinkedIn coffees going on and people starting to support each other. So if you are on LinkedIn, do link in with me or search out the LinkedIn HR Uprising group. You can just search it and find it. And of course, the links are on the show notes uh, because that's a great way in which you can share knowledge and build a bit more of a, um, a, an organisation, sorry, a bit of a team, I suppose, around it, which is what I'm keen to do, that we have this community uh, where we can support each other in rising up and, uh, and being successful. So on to the point of this particular podcast. Why is it that some of our organisations absolutely embrace the concept of working virtually or actually maybe they already had it actively working, whereas others resisted it vehemently? And the same thing is happening in that some are demanding that people are going back into the office when they don't necessarily feel ready or happy to do so. Um, Yet others are going, actually, that's fine. We can work this way forever. And I suppose You know, when we strip out, of course, the fact that some places you actually physically have to be in an office like manufacturing or caring or something like that, what's the difference? And on top of it, you know, we know there's also evidence that there's greater well-being, productivity and work-life balance from home workers. Yet again, some organisations are desperate for people to rush back. I'm pretty sure that this does really boil down to trust. And trust is the foundation of all successful relationships. So it's to do with how confident we feel about somebody. I think this is to do with our perceive their, our perception of their values, the extent to which they live up to them, their integrity, but also their ability in a given certain situation, of course. So we need to trust that people can do the job we gave them to do. Um, they've got the skills to do it or they've got the support to do it. When we don't trust people, we're suspicious we're unsure about their agenda or capabilities. So it may be all around us, ubiquitous, but 
it's invisible and it's a bit intangible and it feels like something that's almost just in your gut. You know whether you trust them or not. I mean, if you think about somebody that you trust implicitly, there's lots of extra energy attached to those relationships. I would say it's goodwill, happiness, freedom. You feel safe to be yourself. Whereas if you're thinking of someone you don't trust, you're a bit more wary and that probably makes you more self-conscious and therefore you're less open and relaxed. And so there's more tension. It's almost more sort of conflicty energy that you feel around you. And if we feel like that, we're going to be more uncomfortable and we're not going to be of our best. So the principle is it stands to reason that if we start with trust, we're going to be better able to get the best out of ourselves and out of others. You know, if you've got a high trust relationship with somebody, you can say something clumsy, but they'll understand that you had a positive intention. And of course, the opposite is true with low trust relationships. People will fly off the handle or misinterpret something that you've said with the best intentions. So I was thinking about this with regard to remote working. Do you have to see somebody to trust them? Those people you thought of that you trust the most, do you need to see them daily, weekly or even monthly? And my view is that probably not, because although the trust you probably did originally, the trust would probably have built up over a period of time. So certainly maybe it takes longer to build trust as a remote, a pure remote relationship, but you can still build it up. But once that trust is built up through a period of time working closely together, we know that we trust them. And I was thinking, well, how do I know that I trust somebody? And I think it's down to consistency because often I think this also works in the flip side of it. If you think about managers that people find, they, they state statements about managers they feel difficult to work from. Quite often, those people are inconsistent in their behaviours. So they, you never quite know where you stand with somebody. They might be really tolerant one day um, and then a micromanager the next. So I think where we feel trusting of others is where we believe that we can depend on their behaviours and reactions, whatever the circumstances. Now, this is a little personal example, and it's a, a social example rather than uh, a work example, but it's just an example of consistency. So if I take two long-standing friends of mine, both of which are my bridesmaids, which is a long time ago, um, Rachel and Joe, they're both really consistent, but in different ways. And I'm talking about their approach to being in contact with other people, whether they reach out or whether um, or whether they don't. So one of them is someone who's naturally regularly in contact. They almost are like clockwork. They check in. Um, the other one is very, very sporadic in their contact. And so it would be more like that I would need to reach out to them. But both of them, I trust implicitly. With both of them, there is no less trust in the relationship. And actually, I suppose if they've suddenly behaved differently, that would be out of character and I would have more of concern for them. Um, you know, that's an example there. I'm not sure if it works all the way through with trust because I would still trust Joe if she didn't phone up. I'd be more concerned about her. But it's just that you don't have to have the same behaviour between different people is what I'm trying to say. It's as long as you, when you understand their style of behaviour and they're consistent in it, then you can trust that they are being them true to themselves. You, you can have trust in them. So it's an example of consistency. Um, but it's also about how they engage. It's to do with the relationship. So when I do speak to them, I feel that they're engaged, they're interested, um, they value me, they're positive towards me. Um, and I know they would put my best interest first and they would also never betray my confidence. I think quite a key thing about trust um, is about not talking negatively about other people um, or it's about sharing uh, elements of yourself, being humble. 
um, about yourself. It's just being honest, actually, I think is quite a key element to trust. So that's just an example for me. Do have a think for yourself about people that you, you trust personally or professionally. I mean, I was thinking in professional services, you see that is an organisation, that is a, an industry that's very, very people focused. And I know there's lots and lots of examples where one manager moves to another firm, let's say the big four, and they take entire teams of people with them. Um, or typically in businesses, and I've done this myself, my own business, I've often employed people that I've worked with before. And that's because I've got that long-standing trust and it's really, really valuable. And somehow it feels like it accelerates the relationship. It means that you can almost skip through that first stage of establishing a team, you know, the sort of norming and even the, the conflict aspect of it, the storming piece. Um, and you've got that, you can go faster towards performing. Communication is more fluid. You've less fear about how you're going to be perceived. So you don't feel like you've got to be on your best behaviour, less need to prove yourself. So, I mean, in short, trust makes everything easier. And if we shift this perspective to a new, more frequently virtual working environment, what difference should this make to trust? And I believe the answer is very little if we already have high trust relationships. So if we have high trust relationships already, the transition can be relatively easy. The problem is if you've got low trust relationships already, it's been very transactional, the concerns are going to be magnified because you haven't got that sort of flake um, the fake, sorry, uh, placebo approach or the reassurance of being able to physically see people throughout the working day. And of course, in an environment where it's low trust, it had this sort of presenteeism where it's about seeing people as whether you trusted them to, to, to work or not. Interesting, I've just remembered one of the reasons I left an organisation I was perfectly happy with um, working for was because um, I wanted to work remotely, I wanted to commute differently. And the role I did, it was head office based for absolutely no particular reason. Um, and the boss that I had at the time could not get his head around the fact that I could do exactly what I was doing um, remotely. And uh, and actually, that was the reason I moved to a different organisation. So um, it, I think and that's, that was 20 years ago. So it's quite old fashioned way of thinking, but there are still lots of people who, who manage in that way, whether it's a fear approach that just like having someone in front of you you don't have to therefore set objectives. You can just check that they're there. I mean, they could be surfing the internet and doing nothing productive, um, you know, bitching and moaning around the coffee machine. Um, but we're mistaking that presenteeism for actually someone who is being productive because I assume this comes down to productivity and I'll go more into that later. Yes, yeah, so productivity. I, I, I talked about productivity on um, a webinar that I did yesterday, which won't be yesterday when you're listening to it, but a few weeks prior. I run regular webinars on a variety of topics and actually they're suitable for HR or line managers now. We're running some for line managers. Um, I've done it on well-being and stress management and I might do one on trust. We've got things on performance management coming up and learning management. So lots and lots of topics. I'll put links in the show notes if you want to look at those. Um, they've been getting more and more popular actually. So yesterday I had 120 people on this webinar and I asked them about the impact on trust, well-being and productivity basically and what the relationship they felt was and also how many of them felt they were in a high trust environment. So of 120 people, I'll move to percentages, 78% felt that they worked in a high trust environment and 22% felt they were in a low trust environment. Now, I don't know what you think of those statistics, but I thought that was quite positive, although I can't be sure it's representative of the entire population. 
I've heard much more in the media about low trust. And that said, you know, you've got the classic opportunity for the 70, 20, the 80, 20 rule there, haven't you? So um, interesting to see whether or not the 80% were having more productivity. I went and then asked whether or not people thought there was a relationship between trust and productivity. Clearly, this is subjective. So 62% felt that high trust drove or engendered high productivity. So not everybody, but a lot of them did. 21% saw that there was no relationship between trust and productivity. And they commented that they didn't think it was productivity. They thought it was more about um, loyalty and engagement um, and how the employee perceived themselves feeling valued in the organisation. So that would still have an organisational impact because if people are more engaged, actually they do tend to be more productive um, and they tend to remain in the organisation and be happier. So that was interesting. 3% thought that high trust could lead to low productivity. I thought that was fascinating. So that's the fear, isn't it, that makes people, some people have low trust. They think that if I give people too much freedom and I can't see them, then they'll abuse the system. And I wonder what that said about the people, you know, who have low trust. Is it because they've done it themselves? They've caught others doing it? Um, Do they have fear or don't trust themselves um, in a poor management environment? So is that interesting? They thought that high trust might lead to low productivity. 3%. It's not a lot, but still some did. Then some of them talked about low trust. So 13% thought that low trust could lead to low productivity and just 1% thought it was unrelated or engendered high productivity. Because I did wonder whether someone who decides to be a low trust manager thinks that there'll be so much fear about losing your job or not doing enough that you work so hard and work loads of hours. And there were some comments that supported that. Um, But fundamentally, I think others felt that if you have low trust, people don't feel motivated there. They do the essentials. They sit at their desk. They go through the motions. You don't get that extra energy and effort. So I will go into, I've got some examples. So I'll share the low trust examples that people came out of the webinar that, um, you know, real sort of up-to-date examples. Someone said that um, they knew that it was a low trust Um, situation when the manager or employee interactions were purely transactional or work focused. So there was no human element. And I'm sure regular listeners know that I'm always talking about people first at the moment. It's so important to build that relationship first and build that trust. Things like timesheets, not timesheets for your own benefit, but timesheets where people are having to report in exactly what they're doing, exactly what hours they're working. Um, Or when there's a sense of suspicion, if someone isn't instantly available on the social media, Skype or Google or whatever you're using um, during working hours. And then the other thing is where people feel like they're getting micromanagement. So they're not they're getting small chunks of of things to do. It's very hand to mouth um, or they're being supervised very heavily. So people are checking in absolutely daily, morning and night. What have you done? What have you done? So that just would feel like a low trust environment. And we all have productive days and low low productive days. What we need to do is even it out. But the micromanagement, that is most commonly hated. And this is even before coronavirus, most commonly hated management style is micromanagement. So it shocks me that it still goes on to such an extent. So how can we build high trust organisations? I'm going to go back to good old Stephen Covey. And Stephen Covey talks about this in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he said that trust is an output of character and competence. So character being the way in which we believe in and demonstrate values, which is what we said earlier, like integrity, honesty and openness. 
competence might be seen as professional competence, but it's also our consistency in living up to those spoken values or character, so walking our talk. And then some of you may have come across this book by Stephen Covey's son, cunningly called Stephen M.R. Covey, and he has got a book called The Speed of Trust, and it makes a simple point that high trust organisations are more productive and profitable than low trust ones. Now, I can't tell you exactly what the evidence is on that because not everyone on my survey of 120 people um, thought they were more productive, um, but he's clearly linking it with engagement there. The key though is what he's saying is they're probably more productive because they are more efficient. He's saying it accelerates speed. So the challenge is how do we establish high trust, of course, and the Coveys both suggest it's all about starting within. So if we want to develop trust, we have to start with ourselves and we have to start with self-trust where we actually have confidence in ourselves to set and achieve small goals. And this does make me think about some of the managers who don't trust. Do they not trust themselves? Is this all about fear? You know, the whole thing about um, bullies, often it's about them feeling massively insecure. Many things do come back to how the individual feels about themselves. So how can we help managers build trust with themselves? But what we want to do is um, maybe set and achieve small goals, There's, even if it's things like saying, actually, I'm going to get in the, up in the morning to exercise. It's not setting intentions and not doing this. If we have a to-do list, make it realistic, and then we feel proud of ourselves for achieving it, and we build trust in our capability to achieve. So it's about building trust, making and keeping small goals to ourselves, and then you move on to relationship trust, which is about how we behave with other people, so consistency. And our trust is going to grow when we are straightforward and we don't have hidden agendas. So this can start with us. If we're open with others, very often people are open back. It almost makes it safe. But you can tell when someone's closed with you to start with. So it's kind of saying if we want to build a trusting relationship, we have to take the lead um, and have the humility to acknowledge our own weaknesses or difficulties and the grace to recognise when other people have achieved so we build trust by building others up and show loyalty and respect by not talking others down. And that's interesting one is they talk about loyalty to the absent, whether people are in the room or not. So having that sort of, that's a challenging one sometimes, isn't it? But uh, having that loyalty. But of course, we do need to deliver results. And in order to do that, we need to be prepared to learn and improve um, listen to genuine feedback from people and confront issues that need discussing. So it's about bringing unspoken conflict out into the open, turning it into something more positive. So I think one of the key things with the remote working is that we need to make sure that we clarify expectations with people. And if we clarify the expectations, this is about being output driven. It ensures that there's a maximum chance for people to successfully deliver results for themselves or for those who work for us, or you know, in terms of overall overall desired results. And I think this is so key because most performance issues, again, in normal office-based times, it, and are going to be just the same in remote working, is most performance issues are caused by lack of clarity. And we might notice that people are doing things if we're side by side, if we've got physical proximity. But if we could empower people more by helping them to understand clearly what the overall goal is that we're trying to achieve, the part they play in fulfilling it, and then get out of their way to let them succeed. We need to be there to support them, you know, if they want to ask questions, and we need to hold them accountable for the timelines and the results. But micromanagement isn't the, the way. It's actually, how long do you need to do this? I'm here if you need me. Have you got clarity? What is it you think I need you to do? When do you need to do it by? Have you got the tools you need? 
what other support do you need? So it's coaching really, isn't it? Gain agreement and say, when are we going to check in? And we agree to check in at a specific time and see where we are. So it requires systematic, organised, pre-agreed support and follow-up. Classic good performance management, which is still a rarity. It's a bit like checking the compass. So we set the compass on a on a boat um, and we've gone on autopilot and then you keep checking in every now and then just to check we're on course, but at, at agreed frequencies. And if we've gone way off course, then we work on it and get everything reset. So I've got 10 tips for building trust as a remote manager, which maybe outlines these in a structured way. The first one I say is about making, uh, is aiming to be as open and honest about the organisational and role expectations and requirements. So proactively disclose factual information and try really hard to avoid hidden agendas. And importantly, be straight and timely with feedback. So this is the difference, this balance, isn't it, between micromanagement and regular check-ins. There's a difference between um, checking up on someone and checking in, which is a great quote from Anthony Sindel that, um, on the webinar the other day. Second one is co-create objectives and expectations with clear, agreed milestones, deliverables and timelines and ensure they're documented by the individual. And notice I use the term co-create. So this is not a time for top-down tutorial management. It is about co-creation because that is the best way for someone to feel empowered and to know they're bought into it. If the person is working remotely, there's no point in setting objectives. You need to co-create and agree them and get them owned by the individual. So the individual documents them, the individual agrees the timelines and milestones. Number three is be accessible and responsive. So if people need to reach out with a quick question, use your, we use Skype a lot, but whatever your equivalent is for quick responses, but encourage a call if you sense confusion or radio silence. If they send you a question at eight o'clock in the morning and you don't respond till two in the afternoon, that's not ideal. So you do need to be available, I think, almost more so in these circumstances. Be prepared to check in on things. Even if you can't give a full answer, you can agree when you need to do it. So be available for them to seek feedback. So that way, then they're keeping themselves on track. Empower, but don't abdicate and definitely don't micromanage. And so this means we've got to be consistent. We've got to honour any virtual check-ins that we've set up and catch-ups and get them in the diary, ideally right at the start. So you agree up front what the goals are and when we're going to check in. Make it safe for people is number five. So we need people to feel it's okay to ask for help, to not know all the answers. And it's okay if they make mistakes. Blame Blame cultures are just always a bad thing. So if we allow blame to fester in any way, it just stops people from asking for help in future and you end up with more mistakes long term. So we do need to encourage personal responsibility and accountability, though. So it's not saying that mistakes should be repeated. If something goes wrong, it's about talking to that person about what did they learn from that? What do we need to do differently next time to make sure the learning is encapsulated? Number six is be output oriented. Outputs over inputs. And also demonstrate that you've got high expectations, that you believe in your people, that you believe your people will achieve. So you might say, say something like, I don't expect you to be nailed to your test. I don't expect you to, nail to be nailed to your desk nine to five. I just tr trust you to get the job done well. Clearly say it more clearly than I did just then. But it's just, t you know, say that you trust them to do their best. Um, you know, so it's that sort of thing, but, you know, and also encourage them to go off out and um, take time away. And that's OK, too. If you notice that people are working longer hours or might be having a low day, 
do encourage ad hoc breaks. Um, I've definitely done it with my team to, to our advantage where I've said, just take the rest of the afternoon off, go and do something completely different. And I found that people pay that trust back in goodwill and increase productivity on other days. And we've all had it where there's some days it's just not working. You might as well stop and have another day when you're on firing on all cylinders. Recognition number seven, do recognise great performance, catch people doing things right and share that recognition because there's so much less visibility at the moment. So try and put that on wider forums if someone's done something brilliantly. Number eight is take responsibility and be prepared to admit your own mistakes and apologise if you've got something wrong. So be open, humble um, and you know, say where you've got things wrong and, and tell others those. Number nine is share your own personal challenges. So again, this is this concept of openness, um, building trust in the relationship. It's all about relationship, isn't it? And then that will encourage people in your team to open up about challenges fairly. And number 10 is always be tough on the facts and open-minded on the reasons. If you've followed all of the points one to nine above and someone isn't delivering, despite clarity, support and feedback, then you do still need to have a tough conversation, remotely or otherwise, and you might even have to formalise it. But the issue is often people jump to the low trust and think someone's not performing without doing the other things that drive trust and performance first. So that's what we can do as managers to, to build trust as a remote manager. And we'll put that on an infographic that you can download from the show notes if you want to share it with people in your team. So then if I was going to think about how might we build an organisation of trust, then I came up with six, I'm sure there's other, um, six key points that I would look to focus on, so coming more strategically. The first of all, I think it's really important that the CEO or senior leaders need to inspire people, share the vision, and the vision might have changed, remember, at the moment, you might have slightly diff slight differences in where you're going, and ask for help from people in achieving it. Next key thing is that senior leaders need to be seen to walk the talk. So if that's been requested, they need to be seen to do it. And to be honest, if they're not, someone needs to call them out um, or they need to call each other out. So you may need to have forums um, where they give feedback to each other, have something like 360 feedback possibly. So they need to be quite self-aware of walking the talk. S express the fact that you're about outputs. I will say this to people. I say, I want outputs, not presenteeism. You know, thank you. I do want people to set, tell me if they're going to the dentist's appointment or walking the dog, you know, or, or I appreciate it if they do, but I'm not going to have an issue if I can't get hold of someone instantly. It's all about the outputs. That Those sort of things are more about courtesy, I think, in terms of I won't be available. People just say, oh, I'm off out for a couple of hours. I'm taking a break. Um, I think it's also important to thank people, um, the senior leaders, to thank people, the workers, for their flexibility and performance during difficult times particularly thinking of these home workers who have been homeschooling younger children um, and still working. And, and you know, that's tricky, it's to say the least, isn't it? And stressful. And there are lots of people who are pretty drained um, and will continue, you know, this will be have a knock on. So thank people for living up to the trust you put in them. And even if there is that little 3% of people who aren't performing, focus on the positive ones because they are the ones that will be doing the majority who will be the, the benefit you get from the high performers feeling trusted, um, it's going to be far, far superior to the handful of people who are abusing the system. 
Um, encourage open communication about things. Uh, so, you know, back to the point I was saying about don't don't go for presenteeism, but encourage people to be open about walking the dog or say, I'm going radio silent. It might not be because they are walking the dog. It might be because actually they want to have some quiet, focused time to be productive on a specific task. But, you know, they can just put on your group if you're on a group chat with somebody sometimes it's just helpful because they know they can't get hold of you and maybe they phone you or something if they really need you urgently and then i just say actually share these expectations with all managers and expect them to demonstrate them to live up to them share the top 10 tips and say trust is something that we want as a value and that was something that came out from the real high trust examples that i got from the webinar that we ran yesterday so some real high trust examples that people shared were where they'd been given real flexibility around working arrangements where they said, we don't really mind when you get the work done in the evening, if you've got childcare in the day, just get the work done. I trust you to get the work done. Um, someone had said that they had actively been told by their manager that they will not be monitoring their time um, or their active time on Skype, etc. I thought that was quite interesting. So sometimes it actually has to be verbalized, maybe when it's a change, a very significant change. A number of people felt there was a high trust was equivalent to flexibility with homeschooling relationships. Um, one organisation actually has a value which is called responsible freedom. And um, within that, it, there's an implied level that there is flexibility and trust. You have responsible freedom. I like that. That's a really nice one. So everyone's got that. Um, and you could, the key is, though, you can only give people responsible freedom and expect them to be productive if they know what the strategy is that they or you know what the key organizational goals are and what their place is in those goals, yet what their objectives are, if they have clarity of what to achieve. So um, that is something which is a responsibility of the organization. Um, great quote I mentioned earlier, good organizations understand the difference between checking up and checking in with remote workers. I like that. Someone else comments on the fact they have open calendars, um, have always had open calendars. So actually, if a manager really needed to know where someone was, they can look at the calendar. And it's one of those things that means that no one ever really does check because the option is there. Uh, I completely understand that. Take that for granted. Absolutely. Makes sense. Um, a person says that they know that their manager is completely fine if they can't be contacted at a given time. So it's almost like you're being treated like an adult, that I might have taken myself out for a walk that I needed and my manager is fine as long as the work is done. That's what you want. You want to have that sense of that because that same person will work early or late in order to have their walk and get, walk and get the, the work done. And then this is quite enhanced trust, I suppose, that they actually have got specific forums where staff in their organisation are taking the lead on projects or content virtually that they want to discuss and people are just letting them get on with it, being staff-led. That's quite nice, isn't it? So I thought those were great examples too because they're from real listeners and highly relevant to the times that we're in now. And I'm going to just say thank you to a few people who did contribute. I couldn't give all of the names um, because actually I couldn't tell who they were from the Zoom names. But thank you to Ruth Ball, Annie Mercer, Cesar Sabandi, Anthony Sandal, Harriet May and Angela D'Souza and everybody else who contributed. So that's it for another episode of the HR Uprising. As ever, if you found it of value, do please take a moment to subscribe and tell others. I'm also tremendously grateful to all of you who've provided five-star reviews on Apple. It actually makes a huge difference to how visible we are. There's all kinds of algorithms in the background. So if you do like what we do and you can spend a moment giving us a rating, I'd be very grateful. And take care of yourselves and tune in next week and work on that self-trust. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.